Well, good morning to one and all here today, and so good that you've all come together to worship and to fellowship. It's so good. Turn to the person next to you and say, so good to see you in the house of God. And I'm going to get in early and say, see you next week. Amen? See you next week. That's a great thing to say. To those joining with us on our podcast service, a big welcome to you also to the house of God here at Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre. Where a church alive is worth a drive and a, a church of might is worth the flight. We expect people in days to come to fly here, amen? Big expectations. I believe you've got to aim for the stars and at least you'll clear the hedge, amen? It's a good thing to do. And so, uh, but last weekend we talked about the indestructible faith of Job. Who remembers that message? It was a good message, wasn't it? And, uh, and he was selected by God to prove that Job, without the blessing and even the protection of God, and uh, he would still praise God in, in and in every situation. Amen? In every situation we can praise God. God backed his man Job, and Job proved that he was a truly godly man, and he would praise God in the best of circumstances and in the worst of circumstances. A person's true faith is generally tested when they can still praise God in the absolute worst of circumstances. Job was sort of, he was the sort of guy and he says, nothing will stop me praising God. And so in the, mid, in the midweek meeting, uh, I brought a message which really came out of 1 John chapter 4 and four, uh, verse 17. And that verse says, as he is, so we are in this world. And I pray if you haven't heard that message that you grab hold of it online because it will build your faith. Amen. All these messages are uh, designed to infuse and build yourself up in your most holy faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The messages are loaded with scripture. So therefore they are loaded with the power of God. And uh, so really from that message you can see that we, that we serve the Christ who is and not the Christ who was. And so that message was, well, sometimes you go into a church and Christ is still on the cross. And as a believer sometimes we just picture, whenever we think of Jesus, we just think of Jesus on the cross. And, so, and, and it does affect the way that you live your Christian life on a day-to-day -day basis. Because Jesus died on the cross so that we could live in victory, amen? He took sickness upon himself that we could live in health. And so we look to the cross right now. The cross is bare. He's no longer in the tomb. He's no longer in the grave. He's no longer lying in a cradle. He's no longer riding on a donkey, but he's riding a white charger. He's got tattooed on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's seated. he doesn't have a crown of thorns, but he's got a magnificent crown, a kingly crown. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave those things to the church. Oh, can you be effused with faith now? And so that's why when we serve the Christ who is and not the Christ who was. And so how we see Jesus now will, will affect directly how we begin to pray. It's great to come to the cross, but the Christian message is resurrection power. Amen? And so uh, never forgetting where we came from, but from a position of humility, but raised with him in heavenly places of honour, as it says in Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, Ephesians 1, 20 to 23. 
But I'd like, uh, with that backdrop now, to turn in your Bibles to 1 John and chapter 4, and I'm going to pick up where we left off in that message. I'm going to read from verses 12, which is the preceding verses to, that, to those as he is, so we are in the world. So reading now from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know we abide in him as he is in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as a saviour of the world. This is good news. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, that's a powerful thing to do. People say, I believe in God, but refuse to confess Christ. Big mistake. Whoever confesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it says God abides in him and he in God. So it's a two-way thing. You abide in God and God abides in you. We abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. That's his substance. And so, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. So in preaching these, uh, or talking about those preceding verses to that mighty verse, the language of John comes through loud and clear. John has his own vocabulary, which is unique to John. Amen? that is found nowhere else in the Bible. There is a huge vocabulary. And uh, from verses 7 to 11, love is mentioned 10 times. In fact, 28 times in, in uh, 24 consecutive verses, he refers to love. This is John. John never leaves this grand theme of love throughout all of his writings. He's always coming back to love. And he is often referred to then as, by many, many people, as the apostle of love. He even calls himself on a number of occasions as the disciple that Jesus loves. Remember writing, imagine that, writing your own gospel and you just describe yourself, I'm the one that Jesus loves, amen? And Jesus loves me, this I know because the Bible tells me so, was John's favourite song, amen? Jesus loves me, this, is it your favourite song? You should. You shouldn't not have a, an identity crisis or a self-image problem or an esteem problem. Because why? Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. I think John wrote that song, in fact. He's known as the apostle of love because he was confident that Jesus loves him. Are you confident that Jesus loves you? You should be. The Bible. T just turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. 20 years ago, I was walking down the, in the middle of a big con, uh, shopping center, and this bloke wore this amazing T-shirt, and he says, Jesus loves me, but the rest of the... Oh, or it, says, it said, Jesus loves you, but the rest of the world thinks you're an idiot. <laughs> I think it was an incredible T-shirt. Jesus loves you, but the rest of the... In other words, it really doesn't matter, right? If you've got God's approval, who needs anybody else's approval? I want to tell you today, turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus loves you. Oh, it's good news. You've got to feel better when you leave this place, amen? If you feel depressed, come on out after the service. I'm, I'm going to pray that off you, amen? 
And so Jesus loves me. He's known as the apostle of love. He was confident. He oozed the love of God. He knew that Jesus loved him. And so these words come out through uh, the Gospel of John. There was three letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and plus the book of Revelations, which means the Apocalypsis, which means a revelation of who? Revelation of Jesus. Amen? It wasn't a revelation of the, of the storm, of the cyclone, of catastrophes and all that. It was a revelation of Jesus. That's what Apocalypsis means. And so, but, G, but John uses these words. He uses love. He uses the word truth over and over and over again. He uses the word believe over and over and again. And he uses this beautiful word, which I'm going to speak in about this morning, is abide. Amen? The language of John throughout all his writings revolves around these very, very central themes. Amen? So they are love, truth, believe, and abide. If you could nail all those things, all those writings and the gospel accounts, they revolve around these words. So the gospel of John, more than half the references of the word believe, which is the verb of the word faith in the Greek, pistis is it in the Greek, more than half the references of that word believe in the whole of the Bible are in the gospel of John. So he believes in believing, amen? Believing is a verb, it's a doing word. Believing is not passive. When you believe God, that is an active word. When you believe his word, that's active. When you believe in healing, when you believe in all the promises of God, that is your active participation in the gospel. And it also, believing brings the word of God to life. Otherwise, it's just a book of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations and doctrine and theology and all this sort of stuff, which is fantastic. Every, everything should have a doctrine, should have a theology, which we base our faith. But Jesus didn't, didn't die on a... He died on a cross that you would believe in him, that you would receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. Do you believe in today? John 1, 12, verse 12. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, it says in verse 14. And so more than, uh, and so in 1 John, that's the letter, you'll see the word love and abide appear over and over. In the letter 2 John, we see love, truth and abide appear over and over. The word truth is just there and there and there. In the letter 3 John, love and truth are predominant in all things. And so the question for us today, what keeps us in this mode of loving? If he talks about love, what is it that could keep us in this mode of loving? How do you keep on loving the unlovable? Amen? Loving God and loving others, as John describes. What, ground, what grounds us in the truth and keeps us from deception and remaining in the truth? What's going to keep us in the truth? What is going to keep us believing this active verb of faith, the doing an active lifestyle that John never lets up on, amen? And he says, he calls this the life of faith. What is going to keep us grounded in even those three things? And so with that now, I'd love if you would turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I pray that you've got your Bible with you. Bring it with you and we can have a look at it together and you can check me out as we go along. So chapter 15, in this, and uh, this great apostle of love reveals to us all the principle that enables all these things to be fruitful in your life and mine. I'm going now to John's Gospel, chapter 15. I'm going to read a few verses. 
and they're written in red, which is mean this is Jesus preaching. It's good preaching. It's a lot better than mine, that's for sure. And here we are in John chapter 15 and verse 1. I am, that's how he starts. Sounds like his father speaking, doesn't he? When God said, I am. Amen? And so, uh, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. There is a lot of people here who are from the agricultural industry or aware or familiar with it. Jose over there would know what it is to be a vine dresser. You stay away from them guys because they've always got clippers in their hands. Amen? And uh, they want to cut you down. I'm already five foot two. I can't afford that, Jose. But I'm, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch, see that? Every branch. That's exclusive nobody. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. There's a reason for it, that it may bear more fruit. Who's experienced a little bit of pruning over their years? Amen? Pruning is good. We never think so at the time, but pruning, pruning is very good. We do most of our spiritual growth in pruning seasons. That's when we really grow. And uh, in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. We preached recently that Jesus is the word. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Isn't that a clue? I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. That's a powerful one. Difficult for people who have had it all together. Tremendous intellect. Sometimes they are amazing intellect, amazing wealth, amazing resources. and can be a stumbling stone. And, uh, but if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them together and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. That's pretty severe, isn't it? The gospel is never uh, a politically correct document, amen? It is probably the most unpolitically correct document on the face of the earth. Why? Because it's truth, amen? It just says it how it is. In verse 7, if you abide in me, you see that word there? The biggest word in this whole thing is if. If is a huge word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what, you, what you so desire and it shall be done for you. What a glorious promise. Amen. Whatever, whatsoever things you ask in my name, that will I give you if you abide in me. And by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. But let's go on here, just a couple more verses, because this word abides three more times in the next two verses. As if that wasn't enough already. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. So abiding in Christ, abiding in God, and abiding in love are all synonymous. They're one and the same. God is love, and the substance of love. They're inseparable. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments... You abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These, I, these things I have spoken to you, that your joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. They're glorious passages, isn't it? There, you see, that is the key, the answer to those previous questions in this grand yet understated word, abide. What, what keeps you 
in love? What keeps you in and to continue loving in unlovable situations? It'll be the abiding in God. Amen. What will keep you grounded in the truth when there's so many truths out there? When anybody says, I have, a, have my truth, you know very well that the truth is not in them. Amen. Because there is only one truth. There is only one datum point from which all things are measured. On a building side or on a, on a council side, Brett would know this as an engineer, there is a datum point or a level from which all things are measured. And we don't all have our own individual datum points, otherwise nothing would measure to itself. But there is one datum point and that person is Jesus Christ. Amen. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. In the word, in the Hebrew, the word truth there is emet, and, it, and it's spelt an aleph and a tav, which is the first letter of the Hebrew ladder, and the tav is the, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Amen? Aleph, the tav, and the M is in the middle. So Jesus is the beginning, he's the end, and everything in between, he is the truth. Amen? And he is the substance of truth. How do we walk in truth? How do we keep on loving? How do we keep believing? The answer is in the abiding. Amen? Abiding. This is a massive lesson uh, for us, given to us by Jesus himself. It's good preaching. I pray that you go home and write down John chapter 15 and read it, read it about 10 times and begin to think about it and meditate on it and allow the truth of God's word to penetrate into your heart. Read chapter, chapter 15 about 10 times. Do it. Don't do it once. Allow it to sink from your head to your heart where true change can occur. Can occur. Abide is in the Greek in the New Testament means to stay in a given place. It's a state of a relation to abiding and not only just to come or to stay but to continue to dwell, to endure in other words, to endure means to remain in that place even when it's difficult. So you come and you stay. Jesus said, come to me, but he also meant and stay with me. Not just come for a visit. Jesus is not, he's not up for just a, just a visit, amen? He's after a holy habitation. Will, will you be a holy habitation for the presence of God, amen? A vine's uh, uh, dictionary says uh, the word Abide, it means to continue, to tarry. That's an old school word, tarry. Tarry, they said, in the, in the city of Jerusalem and wait until you endured with power from on high. How long did they have to tarry? They tarried 10 days. And so uh, this word abide requires some endurance, some patience, constance of residence, endurance even when burdensome. What about this word persistent loyalty? We need to be a, have a persistent loyalty to the gospel, a persistent loyalty to the one of Jesus Christ. Not a walk-in, walk-out situation, come-and-go situation, drop-in situation, amen? But it's a persistent loyalty. I'm calling the church to persistent loyalty in the things of God. What about a continuing in a thing or to lodge in a house? Which house? It's the house of the Father. It's the house of God. To lodge in the house of God. This is your house, amen? This is the house of God. This is where you live. This is where you abide. And uh, to stand, to make stand. Fidelity is also a good word to use. It means that you're, you're not promiscuous. You're not, you don't mess around with idols. You don't flirt with other stuff. 
you, you have a, a stance of fidelity and in doing so, stability. Who wants to stand strong? Build your house upon the rock, the rock Christ Jesus. It's not the most glorified stance in regard to our community and, and the public's view, but it is, we want the approval of God, amen? Man's approval, will, it doesn't matter, matter much to me. In uh, 1 John chapter 30, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1 and verses 35 to 37, I'm just going to read that, just bear with me for a moment. Again the next day, so this is in the beginning of the gospel account. John stood with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two, two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Amen? They followed Jesus. In a later place, Jesus says, Come follow me. Jesus turned to them, seeing, What do you, what, what, uh, uh, following? And he said to them, What do you seek? And uh, they were looking for someone to follow. And John the Baptist, when Jesus arrived on the scene, said, don't follow me now, follow Jesus. Amen? And uh, that is always a good, uh, a good mark of good ministry. Good ministry would always point people to Jesus. It never takes the limelight or should never take the limelight. If, if you're ever looking to me for the, for the answer, you've got your gaze on the wrong place because I am not the answer, but Jesus is the answer. I can only point the way, and this ministry will only be as effective as we point people to Jesus. Amen? That's all we can do. So John commanded to behold, and the reason thing, behold the Lamb of God. He was already introduced. That was his introduction line in the New Testament in John's Gospel. Behold the Lamb of God. And why is it important to behold the Lamb? Because what you behold, you will become. What you set your eyes on, you will become. Amen? And you cannot be what you cannot see, but when you see Jesus, you will become like him, says the Bible. Amen? Follow me, Matthew 4.19, to his disciples. That is us. We are his disciples. Here it says, he said, follow me to his disciples. But we are the disciples of Jesus Christ. Can you say that? I'm a disciple of Jesus. Turn around and say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Say it with tremendous pride. I am a disciple of Jesus. It's a great declaration. I am a disciple of Jesus. Many people come and give their lives to Jesus in a short prayer. But that's not becoming a disciple. That is like step number one. Christianity 101. You've got to repent. You've got to believe. You've got to receive. But then Christianity is now a daily walk with God being a disciple. I'm not a fan of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. Not only a follower, I am a disciple of Jesus. Amen? I am a disciple of Jesus. I'm a prayer. I'm one who comes together. I'm an encourager. I'm a, I'm a person who repents and will continue to repent. And uh, repentance got you saved. Repentance will keep you saved. I'm a prayer. Can you say that? I'm a prayer. I'm a prayer. You will have uh, your life. You won't necessarily always just have a time of prayer, but your life will be a prayer. You won't find yourself walking up to work, to the gate, and you'll be praying. And while you're working, you'll be praying. While you're at home, you'll be praying. While you're gardening, you'll be praying. It is a lifestyle of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so, come to me and stay with me is what Jesus is really saying in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary. But Jesus is saying, come to me, sure, but stay with me and abide with me. 
In the Old Testament, we saw that God wanted to live amongst the people. But in the New Testament, God wants to live in his people. Oh, what a difference. God's just not around us, but God is in us. Isn't it a different perspective? Just being around people of God. No, I want, I want to experience the transforming power of the gospel for myself. Christ within me is the hope of glory. Amen? That is the hope. Jesus is within you. Jesus is within you. That's why we don't connect ourselves to sin, because who would join himself to that which is sinful or to a harlot, the Bible says. And so John 17, 23 puts it this way. When Jesus prayed to the Father, I in them and you in me. Oh, see, and so it's a bit like a, a tea bag. You put it in a hot water, and that hot water is transformed into what you would call a cup of tea. And you now cannot remove the tea out of the hot water. It's become one. Amen? He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So it's not like just you and, and the Lord are dwelling in this place together. No, you are united with Christ. You are in, it's almost like Christ is totally infused in you. I and the Father are one. You are infused with Christ. Amen? That's why you don't join yourself with sin or a lifestyle of it, because you are infused with Christ. And so it's interesting to note that in John's Gospel, uh, that he has described himself as the one who Jesus loves. And so he coming, he's coming from a place of confidence. But you too can have this confidence. Jesus loves me. It's a, it's a massive statement. Jesus loves me. We are now speaking of a, a spiritual union. When I'm talking about being infused with Christ, this is a spiritual union which just following does not encompass. Amen? Jesus said, follow me, but that was an initial thing. Follow me. But, but this thing now, abiding in Christ, it is going deeper than the original call than to just follow. In fact, the ability to produce fruit, and who wants to produce fruit in their life? And I mean good fruit. Sometimes my fruit that I produce, I know it's of the flesh, it's no good, and I repent of it, and it makes me feel sick. Sometimes the things that I say or express myself, it falls far short of what God would have for my life. I can only repent, and that's what we can do too. And so, but we are more than just following him. We are infused with him. And, but our ability to produce fruit in our life directly coincides with our ability to abide in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 and also Colossians 1, I think in Ephesians 1 there's 13 references to being in Christ, in him, in whom. And Colossians 1 is almost identical. 1 Corinthians 6.17, you might want to read the, or write this one down. It says, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And so sometimes we feel that there's these two things. Jesus is living in me, and then I am the spirit, my own spirit man. But my own spirit man is now infused with Christ. Amen? Like that cup of tea. And so a previous to that, Paul stated uh, of an intimate spiritual union with him in this way. And he says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Not only the Spirit of God just dwells in you, but that Spirit is joined, infused to your Spirit. And so, uh, uh, come to me, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. 
Come to me and stay with me. I'll read Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Most of you would be familiar with the verse. Come to me. This is Jesus speaking. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound lovely? The rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. We look at that word yoke and we think a yoke is heavy. Amen? We think of a yoke. We think of a timber thing thrown across our neck, straddled with somebody else. But we are straddled or we're yoked to Christ. And then he goes on to say, he says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke of the Lord, we look at that word and it sounds burdensome, doesn't it? We think of cattle being yoked together, plowing the ground. We think of hard work. I'm starting to sweat even thinking about it. But his yoke is not burdensome to us, but he is a, his yoke is a blessing to us. The yoke of the Lord is the blessing to us. Jesus is the groom and the church, and we as individuals are the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ, amen? We are the bride of Christ, each and every one of us. Jesus is interested in marriage, and the Father has an arranged marriage for his son Jesus, and wear it. We are the bride, and it is an arranged marriage. And, uh, and, uh, but Jesus is just not interested in... But he's interested in the beautiful intimacy that goes with marriage. And uh, when looking at the yoke of the Lord, you can see that Jesus is interested in permanency. He's interested in a stability, an enduring relationship, a binding relationship with cords of love. Amen? And so this is the sort of relationship that Jesus, Jesus is interested in intimacy in our relationship with him. It's not a dive in, dive out. It's not a one night stand or anything like that. It is an intimate relationship that has a permanent structure called marriage. Amen? And so we see uh, six times we see in these initial verses of John chapter 15, six times that word abide, 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 abide is mentioned over and over and over. Amen? So abiding in Christ will see the blessing of heaven released to you and your ability to bear fruit in life in and every, every season will depend on how we abide in Christ. Three times abide in my love. God is love. And so as the same command is given as the previous six, abide in me. So Jesus is saying, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. If something is mentioned in quick succession, once, once is important in the word of God. Twice is, is, is quite important. And three times is relatively important, amen? Four times it's getting really, really important. But, but we find this nine times in the space of just as many verses... Just a few more. Is this word, great word, abide? And, uh, and Paul says, uh, to me, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is necessary. So the Lord is saying things over and over and over again because our propensity to forget is amazing. Amen? We just, if, we're just like little kids in a way. Once is never enough. Once is never enough. And so the Lord said over and over and over. And so... Uh, so why, so, so why abide in Jesus? Nine times, in fact, in ten verses. I did count it before. Uh, so you can produce fruit and fruit that will remain. Fruit that can endure for all eternity. We are the winners. We have entered, and when we accept Jesus Christ, we entered into what you call a diatheke covenant, 
or a covenant where one person benefits or is the greatest beneficiary of the deal. Why God would make an agreement with you and I personally is beyond us. And so God has given us the vehicle of faith to even be able to comprehend why he wanted to do it. But God wants relationship with his children. And a free he doesn't want to force anybody, nobody. But he wants you to willingly come to him and abide in him and just enjoy God for who he is. Amen. And uh, somebody asked me, is it for the things of God? Like we test, Job was tested. The devil thought, oh, it's only because you're blessing him that he loves you. No, we love God in every season because he is a righteous God. He's a holy God. He's a beautiful God. He's merciful God. Amen. All these attributes of God. God is love and he has his best intent for you and I. So if we, if we live our lives out of the reserve of a previous encounters with God, we will dry up. And so coming to God on a daily basis is what will keep us fresh. Amen? And I can't live out of yesterday's bread. It's no longer fresh. I don't like yesterday's bread. Who likes to eat yesterday's bread? What about the day before? Who'd eat bread a week old? I have done it. Amen? We've all done it, haven't we? But isn't that some of the best things in life are just fresh bread, isn't it? Lashings of butter. It's just dripping off the toast. It's just lovely, isn't it? A fresh cup of hot brewed coffee. It's beautiful, isn't it? Hebrews. Amen. That means the men make the coffee. It's fantastic, isn't it? But fresh bread is where it's at. Abiding in Christ is a daily thing. Amen. Don't try and live today's life on yesterday's bread. It doesn't sustain us so good. It doesn't taste so good. And people can tell the difference, particularly those closest to you. Living and ministering out of this continual overflow means that you and I can never run dry. Let there be an overflow. And so we are a vessel where the Lord flows through. And there should always be an abundance. So we are a channel of the love of God to flow through others. Amen. We're not a dam. We're not a dam of the presence of God. No. The presence of God flows through our life. How does it continually flow through? Only by continually partaking and abiding in God. Psalm 91, we touched it even today. Let me just quickly go there. Psalm 91, fantastic psalm. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide. There's that word again. Under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. These are the benefits of abiding in Christ. Amen. Abiding in God. Abiding in his word, abiding in fellowship, all these things we can abide in. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. You see how we're shored up, we're strengthened? Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth, there's that word again. His truth, when you abide, truth is never far away. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. It's a protection, amen? You shall not be afraid. And amen, so fear of man brings a snare, but the word of God says when you abide in Christ, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness. Or there'll be another uh, world epidemic of some kind of something, whether it come out of a lab or somewhere else. But the Bible says here we need not fear of any pestilence or disease. 
and nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. What a declaration to say. I don't care what's going on out there. It will not come near me. The Lord is your refuge. Only with your eye you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is your refuge. So there is believing. Believing is in that verse there. They have placed their faith. You can place your faith in God too. Because you have made the Lord your refuge. That's a decision. Even the most high, your dwelling place, that's where you abide once again. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. These are all the benefits of abiding in God. They are many. And this would not be the total of the benefits. In their hands they shall bear you up. So you even got the angels working for you. Amen. That's a good thing. Lest you dash your foot against the stone, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot because he has set his love upon me. There's that word love when you abide, that word love, truth and believing all come together. They always do. Therefore, I will deliver them. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Uh, last two verses. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. Jeremiah found that out as well. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What are the, these are the glorious benefits. They are just wrapped up in Psalm 91. But the whole of Scripture, you will see the benefits of serving God and abiding in Christ in an intimate relationship. God is not interested in superfluous or shallow relationships. We don't like it ourselves, so either does God. So where is the secret place? Just, a, just love if Jules would just come to the keys and just tap out very, very softly for me just right now. So 15th of April, 1912... And there was a boat called, a grand old boat, boat called the RMS Titanic. And been four days on its maiden voyage, they said that God himself could not sink the Titanic. There's an estimated 2,224 people on board when it struck an iceberg. At around about 20 to, uh, 2340, which is 20. 20 minutes to midnight on that particular date. I want to say, here it's 20 minutes to midnight, but I reckon right now we're only seconds to midnight. That's true. A minute to midnight at the most. And so on Sunday, the 14th of April, 1912, so her sinking took two hours and 40 minutes. The greatest, most prestigious ship in all the earth in 1912 sank in two hours and 20 minutes. And on board were 2,240 people. It resulted in the deaths of more than 1,500 people. Amen? More than half. More than half. And it was one of the deadliest peacetime maritime disasters in history. But on that boat that night, there was a man named Wallace Henry Hartley. And he was an English violinist and he was the band leader on the Titanic that infamous night 
during its maiden voyage. And he became famous because he led an eight-member band as the ship sank and the rest of the band died. All eight members of the band died that very, very night. They never lost their post. It's a military term not to leave your post. And they were felt there, they were there to comfort the passengers as best they could in that horrendous moment. And they held their post, and I believe they, were, they too were moved by the lyrics of the songs and the hymns that they played. The eternal was not long away. It wasn't long away. And they started playing all those ragtime, amazing songs just to try and bolster the crowd, and they played almost joyful songs for more than an hour and three quarter. So they, they thought that's what the people played. But the imminent fate of the boat and everybody on it, they knew something more real needed to happen. And they began to play these beautiful hymns. And I believe they played them in a way that they had never played those hymns ever before, ever before. And it was not that they were on their note to entertain, but they held their note because they were playing something that would have eternal consequences. And even those men, whether they were saved or not, I believe those, many of those men, of those eight men, would have found the Saviour that night playing those very songs because it would have meant more to them than the hundred or so times they would have ever played them before. None of the band members survived the sinking. And the story of them playing to the end became an absolute popular legend. A newspaper at the time reported the part played by the orchestra on board the Titanic in her last dreadful moments will rank among the noblest in the annals of heroism at sea. You say, I believe the Spirit of God was hovering and brooding even in that time. Hundreds and hundreds of people testified what happened in those times. Marie Jewin mentions that the band played Nearer My God to Thee. Who knows that song? Beautiful song. And, she, and uh, Washington Dodge, another man from his lifeboat, he reported hearing the band playing Lead Kindly Light. A group of Titanic crewmen heard the band play Abide With Me. Abide with me. It's an old, it's an old, old hymn written 65 years prior to the Titanic going down. They prayed, Eternal Father, strong to save, as well as other hymns. Who's ever seen the lyrics of strong to save? Nothing could have been more graphic than those lyrics because it talked about the tumultuous waves and sinking in the ocean. As the RMS Titanic sank and thousands met their death, it was said the ship's band played Abide With Me, a hymn, wrote a, the hymn written 65 years before. And I believe that man who wrote that hymn, the Reverend Henry Francis Light, he never would have anticipated that his hymn would have been used for such dramatic circumstances. Imagine writing a hymn and knowing that thousands were to meet their end while listening to those lyrics. But then every soul that makes, I think, in regard to being dramatic situations at least, that, that every soul that's made a decision for Christ is a dramatic situation. 
Oh, it's an earth-shattering situation. The Bible tells me that there's a party in heaven every time someone gives their life to Jesus. And I want to say that it's never too late to do so. Never too late. Marie Jewin mentions that the band played Nearer My God to Thee. And it said, little by little, she writes on. I've got her memoirs here. Little by little, the lights disappeared one after the other until we could only see a black mass. The bow was already submerged. That was stories high. But the, the bow of that mighty ship met the ocean. And we still heard the musicians of the ship playing the beautiful hymn. They still heard it. Nearer my God to thee and abide with me. To which we joined in with all our heart. You see, can you picture it on the, even in that dark night? The people in the boat, the people in the water, they were beginning to sing. Oh, but they sang it differently to they ever had sung it before. Ever. What heroism to stay that way at their posts and to give courage to those who were going to die. In playing this song so beautiful, they said it was haunting. People in the lifeboats also joined in singing that amazing hymn. Another steward, his name, name was Jacob Gibbons. And he said the cries on those on board was terrible. And I doubt whether the memory of them will ever leave me during my lifetime. It has been denied by many that the band was playing. Some people will say, oh, the band didn't play that. Oh, the devil's always got his voice to say, amen. The devil's always got his voice. But the devil won't be standing next to you when you're in the courtroom of heaven. It'll either be Jesus or just by yourself. But in doing so, the strains of nearer my God to thee could be heard right across the waters, over the water, with a solemnity so awful that words cannot express. That is the personal memoir of this particular student, uh, of the steward. Well, imagine listening to that. You'd, you'd, been never, you'd never listen to that hymn the same way again. We see these, sing these songs every day of the week and they, our hearts are unaffected and we continue living the way we are. Forgetting that eternity is only can be seconds away. But there was another noble character on board and I recall it this morning from another story that I read in a book years and years ago. And it's the testimony of John Harper. Who's ever heard of John Harper? Fantastic man of God. He was a pastor of a church in Glasgow. That church now is called Harper Memorial Church. Harper was traveling on the Titanic to come and speak at the Moody Chicago Church. Amen? He came. And uh, when the Titanic went down, Harper spent his last moments on deck preaching the gospel. Are you saved? Have you given your life to Jesus? People could see that there was not enough lifeboats and uh, that their time was short. It was reported someone stood at that church, that Chicago Moody Church, sometime later and testified that he was the last convert of Pastor John Harper before he too sank into that watery grave. At the time of the Titanic disaster, Harper was 39. His daughter was on board and she was brought to safety. Some who survived told that Harper preached the gospel to the end, especially Acts 16.31. Some people knew the scripture that he preached from while he was on deck and while he was self in the water. 
first aboard the sinking ship and then afterwards to those in the freezing water before dying in that watery grave himself. In two hours and 40 minutes, 1,500 people met their eternal destiny. There are only two destinies. Only two destinies. The Titanic, named after the gods of ancient man and the mighty man of old. The Titanic, the Titans, we've all heard of the Titans. But they are not the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And every foreign God on the earth is going down, amen? Every foreign God is going down. And there will only be one. There will only be one. But the Titanic represented everything in man like the Tower of Babel itself that was of pride and was of power. The glitz, the glamour and the prestige. That was the Titanic. The unsinkable ship that God himself could not sink. Any gold, the most valuable thing that this world could afford, any gold that person, any person had on themselves would only end their life more quicker. So the greatest thing this world can afford you is gold. But at the end of the day, it, that would have taken them to the bottom of the ocean quicker than anything else. What are we holding on to today that is sinking and perishing? What are you holding on today that is sinking and perishing? What is stopping you from selling out to God, which is eternal? What is stopping us? What is stopping us from selling out 100% to God? John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that me, we may increase. The church is still full of itself and not full of Christ. John the Baptist had it right when he says, I must decrease so that he may increase. In the days of Noah, eight righteous people boarded the ark and God himself sealed the door. Isn't that interesting? Noah didn't close the door. If it was up to Noah, he would have left it open too long because he was a compassionate and righteous man. But at some point in time, God closes the door. In fact, he is the door. The door of the ark is open to you today. And Jesus is the door. He does stand at the door and knock on the door of your heart today. Will you respond to him today? Will you give him not just a part of your life, but will you give him your life? What is Acts 16.31 anyway? I thought I should check it out. Seeing everybody recalled this man, John Harper, and he preached from Acts 16.31. This is what it says. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Let's stand to our feet right now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Perhaps you've already given your life to Christ. Perhaps you've given him part of your life. But this morning, I'm going to open up this altar. I pray the day that this place is going to be so packed to the gills that we can't hold. I've done altar calls here in the past and they've been two and three deep. They've been amazing when people have responded to the Spirit of God. But will you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ today and will you give him not just a portion of your life, but will you give him your entire life? I, am, I invite you to come. Perhaps there's some people here today, you want to rededicate your life. Don't let anything stop you coming today. Just make a bold statement and say, I'm selling out for Jesus. I'm selling out for Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, for this body of believers, for those listening and online. I pray today that you make a decision 
to sell out to Jesus. It's not 20 to 12 anymore. It's only 20 seconds to 12. And at some stage, Lord, you are going to close that door. I pray, Lord God, for this region, Lord, that you will usher in these people, bring them in, heal the hearts of their backsliding. And Father, I pray, Lord, they're holding on so desperately to that which is perishing. But I pray, Lord God, today that they would turn to you in Jesus' name. I open up the altar.
truly are your dwelling places, Lord. So thirsty we come after you. Lord Jesus, you are my joy. Jesus, you are my reward. Your love is restoring my soul. And now, Lord, I am yours. And you, Lord Jesus, you are mine. And from my heart, this song will rise.